What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay. And I'm Mark DeVoe. And before we dive into this week's really, really exciting episode with an author of children's books, we would like to thank all of our academates and our patrons. If you are one of those, thank you so much for making this podcast happen. And this week, we'd like to thank Tara, Beth, Tom, Christine, Aaron, and Diane. So we really appreciate your support, folks. And if you would like to join our merry band of inspired and inspiring writers, pop over to uh, bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support to read about all of the great things that you can get becoming a supporter of this show. And if you'd like to join the Academy, folks, we are opening the Academy up again for the beginning of September. The academic year begins. Mm. Pop over to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com to find out more and get your application in now because it's happening right this moment. You've got a few more weeks left. So, Mr. Stay, you are busy with copy editing, I believe, sir, this this last couple of weeks. I'm done. I'm done. I've done my copy. Yes. I'm done. They're off. Whoosh. How does that feel? Uh, How does that feel to get that done? It's great. It's really good, actually. It's because it, it's... It's, it finally feels like a book I would give to other people to read. <laughs> uh, so I, I've got about a week now until I get my proof pages back to check. And mm. um, we can talk about that and how I do that next time because I read them out loud. Um, so I've got a week uh, and I've been basically I, I've, I've been writing pitches for new things. So I've, I've finished that and I've got a first draft of the third book over there, which I'm going to get back into in a couple of weeks, but I'm starting new projects. So I'm at the, I'm at the bottom of the mountain again, you know, right. pushing that little boulder as it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, which is, um, it's always a sobering prospect. It is, but it yeah, must be. Yeah, I finished it. Oh, here we go again. But it must be so lovely. It must be so lovely because one of the things that we we hear a lot of on this podcast from writers, and we're seeing a lot of in the academy as well, is that people are writing their first drafts and they're like, oh, it's like, oh. But to get to the copy edit part and to finish that, that miraculous transformation from, oh my gosh. Well, I got to the end of the first draft. Now the work begins to actually having something that you're like, okay, lump of clay has now been shaped into something that's looking, it's actually starting to look a bit beautiful. And I'm actually quite proud of it. That feeling, that jump must, must fill your tank every time you get there, right? Well, you've, you've have it, been going through the process a few times. I mean, at least once, having done it once, it's great. Having done it a few times, it's brilliant because you think, yeah, I, I can do this. I can do this. You know, it, it gives you such confidence to think, okay, here we go again. So when you are at the bottom of the mountain, you're thinking, all right, we know what to do. Crack our knuckles, 
get on with it, start start writing stuff. I mean, some of these pitches are things I've been working on for months, but one of them this morning is literally, okay, this I'm going to write a story about something. And it really is that basic, you know, what am I going to write a story about? Uh, and um, yeah, it's, it's exciting. You've got to keep, got to keep moving you're like a shark well, you don't keep moving forward you know yeah it's like it's like the season's changing like like we come around to spring each year and you get like that renewal of things when you've been through the kind of the the, the dead of winter which is sometimes like maybe the muddy middle or the the kind of desperation of like the first draft maybe not turning out quite how you wanted it to but i think that whole i mean i remember when we went through that process with back to reality uh we had that whole journey of kind of seeing this very pliable piece of metal being slowly bashed into shape. And sometimes it is bashing, isn't it? Sometimes you have to get a hammer and go, right, first, chapter one. <laughs> you remember that when we had when we were told by the editor, guys, you know, the chapter one's really just a bit of kind of yeah, preemptive, like get to the action. And we had to make that decision and we lost that whole chapter, didn't we? I, I, I don't like the word bashed. I prefer forged, forged. like a magical I, I sword of yeah. valerian steel. You know, so yeah. <laughs> It's um that's that's Forge how I because it, it, it does it does strengthen it it does strengthen it you know so it's, yeah um, yeah that's how I feel about it and no, and I've had a, a really fun week on the academy as well because we we've, we've added a new feature to the academy where if we've had a podcast we now have a little session with me and the academates where we talk about the podcast so we talk about stuff that came up so we we were talking about um, Nicola May and you know branding and 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 writing humor and writing in bed more of that uh at the end of the show um and so that that was really really fun and we just had a really great session on uh point of view as well um so yeah it's uh, all of that stuff being part of a community like that really really again especially when you're at the bottom of the mountain you're thinking oh here we go again when you really puts fire in your belly yeah absolutely terrific and actually talking of i mean we've talked about accountability so much on this show over the years and and even more so as we we've recognized just how important it is and this week this month mark i have put put my put my uh money where my mouth is and i set up on the academy a writing buddy program and the way it works is each month you get a new writing buddy. So it's somebody that you check in with each day, just a quick message. Hey, I wrote 200 words a day, or hey, I whopped it out of the park, or today was awful. Um, <laughs> and you also have these great kind of little chats with your partner. And um, But I, I decided if I'm doing this, if I'm if I'm organizing this for all of the academates, and you know, we've got a number of them who are really keen to get more accountability on a daily basis, because writing 200 words a day is hard, or a minimum of. I thought I'll put my name down as first on the list just to kind of like give it a go. And this was beginning of July. And so we're now uh, recording this towards the end of July. So I've had a a month of being held accountable by my partner, Heather, who lives in Australia, which is brilliant. She's always ahead of me. That's the thing that sucks. Yeah. It's like she'd always put her. And it's great, though. <laughs> it's great because from a lot of the trials that we did, I found that being prompted by your partner when they send you their word count, it makes you think, oh, blimey, I've got to yeah. do mine. And it's so, it's a human being. It's not like an email or it's not like your own kind of memory or your to-do list. It's a human being saying, hey, I did this. But the thing that's so lovely about it is what tends to happen, and we found this from a lot of people who are doing it, is you get these kind of little mini conversations about, well, what you're writing. And, and uh, oh, I, and I, for example, I'm reading this great book. And I said, oh, have you read this book? And now she's reading it. So 
it's like these little kind of buddies that you're kind of just supporting, you're cheerleading each other on, and it mm. really works. So mm. we've got a ton of people signed up for it, and it's one of the benefits that I think is going to be huge for people in the academy to actually get their book finished. So um, I'm loving that, actually. And I've written more words this month than I think I've written in any month this year just as a result of having that buddy. So that's been really, really exciting and uh, and fun. And not like, nothing yes. like being held accountable as well, I tell you. It's, <laughs> it's like everyone needs an accountability buddy, I think. I mean, yeah. in the traditional world, publishers are those accountability, but not how many, yeah. what percentage of authors have that? Like probably not even 1% if you take the entire population of authors in the world. So we have to kind of work and create that, and maybe to help us get to the point where we've got a book ready for a publisher. You know, that's the, so mm. it doesn't have to be, I said in a, a recent coaching session that writing is um, a very isolated task, but the journey of writing doesn't have to be isolation. We should be sharing that with other writers. Um, mm. And, you know, I think everyone should have a support group, no matter how um, insure or isolated you, you 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 write you should have other people that you you can share the pains of the process with because it's no absolutely it's um particularly and not just when you start out but through your whole career i don't think that ever goes away for anyone uh, completely you know what there's I, I i i've got you know good friends or good author friends and we are shoulders to cry on we are cheerleaders we are i had a conversation with an author just earlier this week who's you know having issues with their agent and you know so we had a had a full and frank conversation about that and and what their options are and they just they just needed they knew what they were going to do they just needed to talk to someone else and uh you know it's it's you you can't just clam yourself up into a shell and pretend you know and do this on your own it's um the temptations there especially in lockdown and and you know uh if you just if it's just you and the screen and your pad or whatever but yeah it's there there are I, there are always people out there i think the writing community is always very very generous with its help mm. um and you just need to ask for help you just need to i was something nicola may was saying last week ask for help and, and you'll get it um, yeah, we had a, we had we had an example in the academy actually of somebody who wrote to me directly and said, "I just want to say that this particular person, I won't mention names to embarrass them live on air, but they said this particular person has been such an incredible help and has been taken time to give me such amazing feedback on my 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 uh, book and my chapters and guiding me and helping me." And you know, I made a point of writing to that person to thank them for all of the effort they'd done, and I said to them, I said to them these words, I said, "You know, what you if 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 the old adage of you know what you give out you get back stands true you've got an amazing future ahead of you because you know you learn so much by helping others as well or being a part of other people's journeys um as writers like what we always encourage people to, you know in the academy to do beta reading of other academates books because because by beta reading someone else's book you're not just helping them but you're learning so much about what makes writing great or not so great. You know, sometimes often the problem is, is that we pick up the number one bestseller off the shelf, we read it and we think, I can never write something as good as this. And it just, mm. it just knocks us down. If you read a book, which is by somebody who's, who's kind of earlier in their process and might not be the most, you know, brilliant piece of prose, it actually gives you an opportunity to say, you know what? I remember when I was in this kind of phase of my writing 
and look how much I've progressed. So actually reading other people's works that aren't necessarily like number one best-selling authors can give you a perspective on where you are in the journey and also kind of reminds you of what you're doing well or in a case of a great book, reminds you what you could be doing better. So there's just so many huge benefits. And actually, I think we've seen, haven't we, over the years with all the people we've worked with, the people that get really stuck and involved with other writers are the ones who tend to have the most success. I don't think there's a, yeah. that's a coincidence. Yeah, no question. The people you see online offering, I mean, look at Joanne Harris. You know, and she's just been through chemotherapy and she's still doing daily writing tips and stuff on Twitter. And, you know, uh, people like that, the people you see on the panels, uh, they're, they're, um, yeah, they're, they are beloved because they put themselves out there, you know, and, mm. and offer advice. So, yeah, you, yeah. you get, I think you, you definitely, are you, do, are you, have you been watching Ted Lasso? Because it's on Apple I TV. I, I started got- watching it actually. Because um, it's it's what season is it now? Is it season? They've just started two. season two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah the yeah. football. It's a f- for people who haven't seen it. It's about a football coach. <laughs> that's that's so reductive. Because I know. this is like this is like what if Mark Devoe was a football coach? <laughs> this is. It's it's like they've seen the Mark DeVoe tick list and going, yeah, we'll have some really good self-help stuff. We'll have some football. We'll have some humour. Well, yeah, and I just wondered if you'd seen it because we, Claire and I, have just had a rewatch and the writing in that is sublime. But what I found absolutely brilliant because there's, there's basically two key female characters in it who I think in lesser hands, these characters would be rivals. They'd be at each other. Mm. But because they're the only two women in a very male environment, they support each other. They help each other out. And I just thought that's a really, really clever, that's actually really difficult writing, uh, you know, mm. to, to do that to do that properly. But um, yeah, keep watching it because it gets better and better and better. It's one of the best shows on TV. Excellent stuff. And just just going back to what you were saying about like going, you know, having, even if you've been been successful, you've, you've launched, you know, you've released books, the whole point of keeping that, having that kind of accountability for writing is so important. And I just remember Ian Sainsbury saying that, you know, even after he had won the Kindle award, um, you know, massive, massive accomplishment, like he went through difficult times of trying to get himself going again. And he said that the 200 word challenge was absolutely like, you know, gold dust for him to, to just keep going. So, um, if you're finding yourself in that kind of Valley or you've found that you've fallen a bit off the wagon, we all do, all the time. I mean, it's a cycle. It's like the seasons, right? We have good weeks and bad weeks, good days and bad days even. Um, think about doing the 200 word challenge. If you're not signed up yet, 200wordchallenge.com. We've had some incredible people talking. I've seen some wonderful feedback from people who've said, you know, without this, I wouldn't be where I am today. Um, so we'll probably talk a bit more about that towards the end of the show. But yeah, get over to 200wordchallenge.com and join the thousands of people that are now signed up to it. It's quite amazing. Um, Mr. Stay, we, we have a, a really interesting interview. It's very close to my heart today. Um, tell us a bit about our guest, Matthew Ralph. Matthew Ralph is a British best-selling children's book author. He lives in London. When he's not busy writing his next book, next book, he enjoys drinking tea, eating fish and chips and waving at the Queen. He's very much, uh, if you watch this on YouTube, you'll see he's got the Union Jack branding in the background. He's, he's you know, very, very, very British. Uh, Matthew is just a delight. He tells us how his first book, Sam the Speedy Sloth, went from an idea to a bestseller, how he applied his marketing background to launch the book and sustain sales. He gives us some great tips from writing blurbs and marketing copy, talks about testing books before publishing, and talks about how the LGBTQ market is evolving. It's brilliant, 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 brilliant chat. 
Excellent. So let's dive in and listen to Mark chatting with the wonderful Matthew Ralph. Matthew, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today? Thank you very much for having me. I'm very well. How are you? We are absolutely tickety-boo, thank you. The sun is shining and it finally feels like summer is here. Now, I I, I want to talk about your extraordinary uh, children's books, which are just an incredible success story. But I did read somewhere that you wanted to be an author when you were five and then forgot about it for 20 years. Is is that true? Yeah. Well, I think it was probably more like 25 years. But yeah, so (laughs) I'd always wanted to be an author. I always was writing little stories and things like that. And then... When I was about 28 or something like that, I hadn't done anything up until that point. I was in the airport and I was flying somewhere and I saw this poster with a sloth on it. And I just thought it was really f- like funny that there was this sloth. And I thought, oh, well, what would it be like if a sloth was quick or speedy? You know, what would that look like? And then all of a sudden, this idea popped into my head while I was on the flight to write a children's book about a sloth that was speedy, speedy sloth. And then I started thinking, what would the, the character's name be and how would that work? And then sort of just the the first line of the book, because it's it's rhyme, sort of just came into my mind. Um, you know, in the rainforest of South America deep lives a curious creature, most often asleep. And that just sort of came into my mind. I don't know where it came from, but because I didn't have anything else to do on the plane, because you can't use your phone, I just wrote it all down on, on my phone in the notes section and then I, yeah, turned it into a bestseller a bit later on. So if it wasn't for airplane mode, we might not be talking today. Exactly. Yeah. If I'd had the distractions of YouTube and Instagram and whatever, then perhaps my my muse wouldn't have found me, perhaps. <laughs> you were working in marketing at the time. What had been stopping you from writing? Or was it just something that you thought, oh, I'll do that one day? Or had it just slipped away from your consciousness? Both. I think... I think I hadn't really written anything and then, but I'd been writing obviously marketing things, you know, like website copy and whatever, but not books. And then years before I had thought about writing a book and I had started it and I just kind of got a bit either bored or just a bit distracted with life. And then all of a sudden I thought about children's books and I'd never really considered children's books before. I'd only ever thought about books for adults Um, and yeah, it just kind of came to me. And I think because I was so busy doing my day job and everything, it it just kind of, yeah, was nothing, not a priority. And then I thought, well, actually, I may as well try it. And then here we are. A couple of years later, I'm now doing it full time. Sam, the speedy sloth, occurred to you on a flight. How long Mm -hmm. did the whole story take to come together? Because we're talking about an illustrated picture book. Very few words, which I think a lot of people assume that's going to make it easy. And it isn't. Uh, how long did it take for, for for Sam the Speedy Sloth to come together? So I wrote probably about 60% on the plane, 70% maybe. But then obviously there's the editing and all of the rest of it. The fact that it was written in rhyme also made it obviously a bit harder and more sort of, I had to think about it a bit more. But from then, the actual illustration process was actually quite quick. I went on Fiverr.com and... I'd looked into traditional uh, illustrators online and it was quite expensive and I Mm. didn't have the money to pay, you know, thousands of pounds or dollars for it. So I went on to Fiverr on the recommendation of someone who I knew and found an illustrator and um, she was a lot more low cost, but did amazing illustrations. Um, Mm. You know, I've got the book here just to show the cover if anyone's watching. 
Um, so yeah, it's really nice, full watercolor, things like that, hand-drawn. And it was actually quite low cost. And it probably, so I think from the time that I wrote it until I published it was probably eight months maybe right but some of that was in some of that was sort of back and forwards learning because I didn't know what I was doing so there was probably some streamlining that could have you know been obviously made quicker but I think yeah probably six to eight months was was the the time it took from idea to execution okay what were the biggest lessons learned during that period because obviously you're, you're working in marketing so you have a marketing mind how did you apply that to what what you were doing so the actual writing itself, I suppose that's similar to the writing I'd been doing before for websites and social media and all the other things that I'd been doing. Um, and then the idea of the actual marketing was useful because I think a lot of authors who have, don't have any marketing background just think, well, I've written the book, I can put on on Amazon and then expect the sales to come flying in. And obviously, I know from experience that's not the case with other things, not just books, but with anything so as soon as I, not just before, but when I launched it, I thought, well, I'm going to have to get reviews somehow. So I looked into how to do that. I got um, a big group of people on Facebook groups and things, volunteers to, I got them all lined up to leave a review for my book once it was published. And then I looked into marketing options like newsletter promotions and you know paid advertising and things like that. And that's how I sort of manage to snowball it a little bit because once you get a couple of reviews you start to then get more organic sales um but to get a review sorry to get sales on a book with no reviews is quite difficult Mm -hmm. so it does take some initial outlay of time and effort and money to to get that so i think the biggest lesson would be to get a marketing plan and everything up beforehand and make sure you have all your ducks in a row so to speak or your sloths in a row in my case (laughs) before you start actually doing the marketing and everything. When it comes to marketing copy, I think authors are very often the worst people to do their own marketing copy. Uh, do you have any tips for writing blurbs and marketing copy? Because it's uh, it's one of these things, particularly if you're English, if you're British, I can see the Union Jack Cushion in the background there, you know, picking <laughs> yourself up. It's not the done thing, is it? How, how, do, we, how do we write a, a sizzling blurb for our books? So I think, yes, I agree. I I found that a lot of people, authors, don't know how to do it. And I actually do. So I'm I'm now um, a full-time freelancer on Fiverr.com. And I offer things like book editing as well as book description writing. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people hire me to do it for them now because I have a marketing background. So I'm almost a marketer first, then an author, rather than the other way around sometimes. So I think the best thing is you've got to really sell your book. You've got to think about what makes your book special compared to other people's. Um, You can't be too salesy and you have to think, you have to try and say, buy my book without using the words buy my book, which is easier said than done. But you really have to think about who your target audience is, what the book, what problem they have that the book is going to solve and who the actual end user is and how do you get to them particularly with children's books, that's not always obvious because children don't buy their own books, typically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to appeal it. It has to be appealing to the child, but also the parent or the adult because they mm-hmm. are ultimately the people who will buy the book. So, yeah, it's quite, it can be very complicated. What, what are the parents looking for? Are they looking for a kind of a, a reassurance, uh, with, with, with book, with, particularly with young, 
young children's books as you're writing, because yours are aimed at about children about three years, three to five years old. Um, what what are parents looking for at that sort of age? I think it's a combination of things. I think they want obviously a high quality book that's written well, got good illustrations. Uh, that they also want to know from you know when they look at the book, they should be able to immediately tell what the book is about and what problem it will solve or what what topic it deals with. And I think you've got to be very clear about what it is that you're trying to, what message you're trying to push in the book, because all children's books really have a message mm-hmm. and some sort of teaching in it, whether it's inadvertent or advertent. It's sort of, you have, it has to have something, otherwise what's the point of the book? So I think you've got to be very clear, you know, if it's about, for example, my books are all about diversity, inclusion and things like that. So you, if you make that clear from the start in your description, Whereas if your book is focused on something, particularly something maybe slightly more controversial or something that isn't mass appeal, you've got to make that clear. It's fine to write books about those topics, but you don't want a parent to be surprised Mm. or disappointed when they buy the book. Mm, Absolutely. Let's talk about your latest book, Family Means, which is absolutely adorable. A book like that, which encompasses family and as you say there's there it celebrates uniqueness it celebrates inclusivity does a book like that because you mentioned you have a launch team and you must know your readers well does a book like that come from knowing your readers and the sort of things that they want yeah yeah definitely so uh, previously i'd written books that were more sort of fictional like sam the speedy sloth and they were about diversity and inclusion but not necessarily specifically it doesn't it's not necessarily obvious, you know, the whole the book is about a sloth who feels different to others because he's speedy. Um, whereas I then got quite a lot of feedback from people saying, oh, you know, I really like this, but also have you ever thought about writing topics to do more on a humanistic level rather than animals or whatever? So the idea for the speedy, uh, sorry, the idea for family means came from, I think, especially with There's so much nowadays, we talk so much about all these social movements. And I think with things like the Black Lives Matter movement and all these other great movements, that was really, in my mind, I thought, well, actually, this is clearly a topic that has always been important. But nowadays, it's people are a lot more aware of those issues. And children's books don't always tend to deal with them in the most obvious way, or they tend to, it's either too advertent, and it's almost pushing a message that's a, a little bit uncomfortable, or it's not obvious enough. So I kind of wanted something that was cute and sort of heartwarming, but also had a message and provokes a discussion mm-hmm. with parents. Um, and, you know, so I've, this is like the book and it's obviously very sort of family friendly and it's got lots of different, like diverse people in it. So different ethnicities, backgrounds, genders, sexual orientations, everything. I kind of wanted what the book that would appeal to lots of people and show that family isn't just one way it's not just a mother and father or whatever it can be anything how wonderful wonderful stuff do you test the books for i mean you have a launch team but do you do you sort of get children to read it or parents to read it with their children and and work on work on their feedback yes so i have a launch team now now that i'm sort of obviously a bit more established and i've i've sort of built up a good team of people who are sort of you know really useful and their insights are really helpful and yeah, a lot of them are parents and they will read it with their child, the initial draft, not obviously before it's it's um, created when it's just text, basically. Right. And it's a good idea to do that, I think, because otherwise you might be putting 
a lot of money towards getting illustrations in a book created and then realize that the book actually isn't very good or doesn't address an issue that needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's always, I always want to get feedback from the parents from a point of view that they are the ones buying the book or the adults, but then also the children themselves have to understand the book and enjoy it. It's not just for the parents. It's mainly for the children really, but the parents are the kind of gatekeepers, if you like. Mm. So you've got to appeal to both people. Wonderful stuff. Uh, Earlier on, you sort of blithely mentioned, oh yes, I had a launch team for my first book. How does one create a launch team? Do we, do we just knock on door to door or how, how does it work for you, Matthew? So I found mine mostly through Facebook and other social media. So I basically just went on different um, uh, Facebook groups or Instagram and just sort of looked for people who I thought would be my target audience, posted in groups, you know, parenting groups, things like that, saying, you know, I'm, I'm a children's book author. I'd love to get feedback from parents. And also it's a collaboration that, you know, if you want a type of children's book, tell me and I can help create that. And a lot of times I think that they really like being involved in that process because their feedback really does affect change. Like Mm. I will actually change the book if I, if enough people or if everyone says, no, you need to do this instead of this, I will change it. And I have. So that's, and a lot of people, I get lots of feedback saying, you know, I really enjoyed this process and it's really cool to be part of, see sort of the behind the scenes element of creating a book. That's great because they they take ownership of it essentially, don't they? They feel they're 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 very much a part of it, and that helps them start spreading the word, doesn't it? Yes, exactly. Because obviously, then you're creating a community, and also, like you said, they feel like they have a stake in it as well. So they are more likely to promote it and talk about it with people they know, and also buy copies themselves. Because, but I also just I just quite like I like getting feedback from people because I want to make sure that the book is going to actually solve the issues and talk about the things that I want it to um, because obviously you could have a great idea in your head but if unless you get another opinion from someone who does have children I don't have children at the moment so obviously I want to make sure that I'm actually thinking in a way that other parents would think. Mm. Your books are beautiful beautifully illustrated fantastic colour all the way through we know that children prefer a physical product. They like a book they can get their sticky little hands on. So what's your sort of quality control process on that? Where, where are you getting the books printed? And and do they, again, do they go sort of, you know, through vigorous testing, uh, first of all? Because um, you also have wonderful things. You have interactive stuff at the back backs of it. You have word searches and puzzles and things at the back as well, don't you? So uh, where are you getting your books printed? And um, again, are you giving them to children first to sort of to read and play with? So I get mine printed. They're printed on demand via Amazon or mm-hmm. um, Ingram is the other company. So Amazon I use mainly for, oh, that's my paperbacks. And I also do Ingram for hardbacks because uh, Amazon don't currently offer that. So um, I get them printed on demand. I obviously order my own copies first to make sure that it all looks okay and make sure that, like you said, I have not only interactive sections at the back, and I want to make sure that the paper quality is good enough that you can actually write on it if it's a word search or whatever. Um, and like you said, obviously, you know, clumsy hands, sticky hands and everything. <laughs> you want to kind of make sure that it can stand up to it, but also that it mm. looks good, that the ink quality is high, the colours look good. So I always order my own copies. And then 
often I will ask one of my launch team, they will get a copy of it. If they have children, they'll obviously give feedback on it. But generally, Amazon obviously is they're pretty their their printing quality is pretty good these days. And because I've done so many books now, I kind of know what to expect. So the quality control part in terms of the actual physicalness of the book I, is not as much of an issue now because I already know that it will probably be good. Nowadays, when I get book copies, it's more to test that the colours look right and that all the images um, sit nicely on the page. Because, for example, on my books, I have in my New Family Means book, for example, you know, I've got, if I just show, I've got their double page spreads. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure that the fold in the middle, it lines up so that the it doesn't, you know, you're not cutting off half the image or something like that. So that's more what I use. I buy um, pre-copies of my book for basically to, to make sure that it's okay for the end user. Fantastic. Let's talk about the uh, LGBTQ market. How have you seen that evolve specifically in children's books uh, over the last few years? Because certainly when I was growing up, there was very, very little out there. Um, and now it's it's uh, there's a greater awareness of, of, of having books for, you know, much more inclusive books. How are you seeing it evolve? And what do you see coming in the future? I definitely think, I think, like anything, social movements develop. And I think whether regardless of what the, the social movement is, sometimes it takes time for it to sort of catch up. And I think now, obviously, we've got so much, there's so much more content, whether it's in books or anything to do with the LGBT plus community, or whether it's even just um, different races and things like that. Now we have so much more representation of all of these, what were previously minorities, and now they're becoming obviously more prevalent in the media. And I think now there's so many more books about specifically LGBTQ plus people and characters. And for example, in my book, I do have a same sex couple um, in Family Means. So I definitely wanted to include that as well as other uh, minorities that aren't usually represented as highly in books. Because a lot of the feedback I get is um, that a lot of the books that you find tend to be written by Caucasian authors and they only have Caucasian characters or heteronormative characters. So I very much wanted to write a book that was for everyone and had every single child should have the opportunity to see someone like them in a book, whether it's their ethnicity or their family um, makeup, whether they have one parent, two parents, you know, different genders, whatever. So that was, I think that's definitely become a really big market. And you can just see there's so many more books now that are being released on those topics. Mm. So I think it's definitely going to evolve more. I think more and more those sorts of books are going to become more commonplace. So I think that's definitely something that I've identified. And also, it's just important to me to also, I want representation in mm. children's books, or books in general, but specifically children's books, so to, you know, to, to sort of teach the next generation effectively. Mm. Absolutely. Wonderful stuff. Uh, what's next from you, Matthew? I see you're doing personalised books as well, uh, which is which is wonderful. But what's what's coming next from you? Yeah, so I, like you said, I do personalised books for my my Speedy Sloth book. So rather than it being, you know, Sam the Speedy Sloth, it's Matt the Speedy Sloth or Mark the Speedy Sloth or whatever it might be. Um, so I do that as like a sort of side thing as well. And that's going really well. Um, as I mentioned, I'm also a freelancer. So I've been a full-time freelancer for about a year now. I started just before the pandemic started. Uh, <laughs> so I now offer um, book editing, book description writing, keyword research for Amazon, mm-hmm. keyword and categories, um, copywriting, 
marketing strategy, launch strategy for books and to increase sales reviews and things like that. So obviously I want to, I'm growing that side of my business and I've been doing that, like I said, for a year now and I'm sort of making a full-time salary from that now. So I want to build that out more. Obviously I would, I want to do lots more books, uh, whether it's more Sam the Speedy Sloth or more Family Means or, you know, that kind of, it, that kind of um, ilk of book. That's definitely something I want to do and I want to create a full portfolio and the, I, the dream, I guess, is to become a full-time author that, you know, creates a platform and, and a community for my readers. That's what I would love to happen. Fantastic. I think it's only a matter of time. Uh, Matthew, where can we find you online? So my website is mattralphthewriter.com. Um, or you can, if you go on to Amazon and just search for Matthew Ralph or Sam the Speedy Sloth or Family Means, you'll find my book. And there I've got linked to my Amazon page or my, you know, my website and my social media and all of that. And also, if you do want to hire my services on Fiverr as well. Wonderful stuff. We'll put links to those in the show notes, folks. Matthew, so much. Uh, thank you so much for speaking to us today and hope to speak to you again soon. Thank you very much for having me. Well, that was a very eventful plane journey. Who would have thought <laughs> <Wasn't> it, <yeah. laughs> to go on, yeah. jump on a plane, and by the end of it, you've written 60% of a book you didn't even know that you had in you, 60% of a book that you didn't even know when you were waiting in departures that was going to pop out the other end. I think yeah. this could be a whole new thing for writers, get on a plane. <laughs> I don't know about you, Mark, though. I get massively inspired when I go to airports. There's something about the airport <laughs> bookshop do, do you know what I mean? It's like there's something I I just, if I ever get more than five minutes spare, I spend my entire time. I'm not in duty free checking out the booze no, no, or no, the perfumes. I'm in the bookshop, yeah. the bookshop dreaming about see, <laughs> seeing my book in an airport because it seems to me to be like, it's almost like the pinnacle of of like, it's mecca right for for authors to get into an you've, airport bookshop you've, you've really you've really touched <laughs> yeah. on something here because there was that when i was at orion there were certain authors who shall remain nameless that we would get a heads up when they were going to be flying in and we would send advanced teams to the bookshops to make sure their books were on the shelves because it is wow. it is a real status a symbol it, it is. is a real status symbol and if they land they will go to the bookshop and check that their book is there and if it's not there they might throw a minor wobbly so uh yeah it is it is a big status symbol and it is it's a it captive readers you know they they can't get out you know until their <laughs> until their gate is called so uh yeah there's a there's a there's a real status symbol there it is i mean we always talk about it's funny it's taken us five years to talk about <laughs> airport bookshops but the thing is you know there's the bookshops like there's nothing like walking into a you know multi-level bookstore and seeing your book out. i mean amazing like amazing and then there's the the supermarket right? The supermarket, yeah. which is like, wow, this is big time. This is bestsellerdom. This is where you know that you have been selected from thousands to represent this week's 20 books on the supermarket shelf. But then I think even higher than that, airport bookshop. <laughs> well, the, the, the other thing, the other, well, two things. One, I would say getting your book into a small bookshop is perhaps a greater achievement because they well, have less, but that's yeah. a whole other conversation. But, well, the independent um, bookstores, right? Yeah. Well, the other thing with um, airports is you get special airport editions. Yes. Are they come out you, er, do they still come out early? A little bit. Because yes, when I was a kid, 
there was there were books that would come out and they'll tell me if I'm wrong, Mark, you'll know this. Months like yeah. Stephen King and that it would be like a pre-release almost of a book. And yeah. it would be like super size me, kind of like, you know, cereal box size. Yeah, they're, they're, it's called it's uh, it's called either a trade paperback or a C format. So you have A B C formats, then a hardcover. Um so yeah, I mean back in sort of eighties, nineties, you might have a Stephen King book come out months before it comes out in the UK, you know, and and vice versa. You might have British authors who, you know, publish in the UK first and then come out months later in in the states. So there was that. That's less of a thing now because basically there are five big publishers and they publish everything on the same day. Yeah. Um, but uh, but you do have that uh, airport edition, and the idea is it's a paperback because it's lighter. So you can get it in your luggage and it won't, you know, you won't be paying any extra. What It's easier. It's easier to transport. It's a little bit more disposable, perhaps. So it, and it's definitely aimed at the kind of people who might only read one book a year on holiday right. or, yeah. or have that fortnight in the sun sitting on the beach and they might read five or six books. So mm. make them lighter, make them a bit cheaper than a hardcover, but more expensive than a hardback. And that is the... Those are usually the first run. So you would have the the hardcover in the high street, but the trade paperback or C format airport edition, which has a different ISBN. It's a whole different format uh, in 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 the airport stores. And they would, you know, Smith's Travel and there are Waterstones branches in in the, the airports in the UK. Um, they would order quite significant amounts of these they they tended to go for the big brand authors yeah. but there were always you know those breakthrough titles and it was always seen as a way i've got an airport edition you know that's that's fantastic right well yeah i kind of miss it to be honest i miss the whole pre like six months because there was something really amazing about going in going to the airport we used to go on the old family holiday you know to europe to we would go to spain where my grandparents actually lived yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, quite a lot and um there was something really special when you walked into like pre-internet guys we're dating ourselves now aren't we but pre-internet yeah, yeah, you'd really. walk into an airport and you would see your favorite author's new book that you didn't even know <laughs> Was even written. I mean, he didn't have any previews online about. I'm currently working on my next novel, or Twitter's about. Just started this, or this is like here's my cover reveal. There was none of that. You'd I remember walking it, and it'd be so. Ex it would be literally kid in a sweet shop moment. You'd be like, oh my god, and you'd grab it, and and then and and then there was the kind of thrill of like sitting on the beach reading this book that you think no one else has really got this book in the world. <laughs> it's like you yeah. felt really kind of special. And I must say. Um, I think pre I think we need to reintroduce that in in today's world somehow where maybe maybe if you're writing a book and you have a really dedicated group of readers why not give them the book I mean I don't know if you can you can't do this on Amazon can you but why not give them the book 2 weeks early or a month early um I I just well, wonder if anyone's you, tried that and I'd love to hear from you, someone that has. If you're an in, if you're an indie author you definitely can and it's what Matthew was talking about when he's building a team and you see, you know, a lot of indie authors will do that ahead of time. It's some something I'm thinking of doing um with my next book as well even though it's not indie but I might, you know, be able to give them uh, early copies or at least early samples. Mm. Um but their uh, mainstream publisher wouldn't do that because They'd one way or another, they'd end up on sale on Amazon. Amazon is one of the things ah. that changed that that kind of early release thing because suddenly you go on Amazon is the greatest book search engine in the world, if nothing else. 
because you can, you know, you can just look books up way as soon because publishers are rubbish when it comes to metadata and putting their books out there because film companies and record companies jealously guard that information. You know, you don't know when a movie's coming out until the movie company tells you. You don't know when that record's be, being released until the record company tells you. Publishers, they go, oh, okay, we've signed the contract, put the data on uh, Biblio and just pff, feed it out to the entire planet. And Before it's like, book's oh, even come written. on, you, you, you publish... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, very often. No and, pressure. You know, part you're of my job at Ryan, every now and then, sometimes sometimes it was before the contract was signed, and there were times when people would say, uh, Mark, excuse uh, me, actually, that, that, book, it, that book isn't happening now, so can we take it down yeah, from or Amazon? Or another publisher's say, kind of in the running for it. Oh, my gosh. Yes, that, that has happened. I'm and sure. I'd have to explain to them, you do realise – Amazon isn't the only book website, and this has gone out, gone to every book website, every book distributor on the planet, and it's out there. There's nothing I can do about that, but people struggle to cope with that idea. It's interesting, isn't it? Anyway, this has nothing to do with children's book marketing, which is what we were talking to Matthew Ralph about. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it has everything, everything to do with with Matthew's story and how he started off. I mean, in terms of let's let's dive into a couple of things. One of the reasons why I love this interview with Matt is uh, if for, for 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 listeners of this podcast over the many years, you might have well, you knew, I you know that I published my wife's book, the self-published my wife's book, the the very last monster book, and we had which is huge, fantastic by huge, the way. Thank you. It's mm. yeah. It's, I, I can say that because it's not mine. I, I love it, and I think it's um, it's a it's a it was an amazing journey to go through the publishing of that book. Um, a copy here. Hang on. Mark's got a copy. Yeah, we. I mean, we actually sold so many copies of that book, and we just did it as a hardback. Um, and hearing Matt's kind of journey, we never actually we've never actually put it on Amazon. I mean, it is the next kind of, but to 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 actually publish. Uh, or uh, print on demand a hardback book to the level that we did because we had spot you know what we um, what do they call it spot um, spot lamb spot, spot lamb. lamination yeah on the oh, front cover nice. really high end inks like inside yeah like purple Great inside paper. covers and and then we went for like we went for like eco friendly paper because that was a really big thing about making sure that we were being as kind to the environment as possible um, and so it's it's a high end it's a high end production book. Um, but it was really exciting to hear Matt talking about his his kind of board books and that how he was actually putting them out as print on demand on Amazon and then hardbacks through Ingram. Um, and it got me thinking. I thought, well, maybe there's a road where there's a route for that down the road because I think one of the biggest challenges that we had we ordered all the books up front. Um, literally in the garage and then we would mail them out like a little team of us would be mailing them out and it's a lot of work it's a huge amount of work we're running the e-commerce front end um, but to have something print on demand I mean we did that for back to reality didn't we I mean that's how I that book right there on my shelf I got that print on demand from Amazon um, it showed up like I think three or four days after I ordered it um, and and it's in, it takes an incredible strain off especially when you're doing you know obviously self-publishing um, so there's all kinds of options. And a lot of people would have said, yeah, you know, oh, yeah, you can self-publish an adult book or oh, children's books. Don't even think about it. But Matt's proving 
everyone wrong there, isn't he? Yeah. If you think about what's changed just since this podcast started nearly five years ago, four and a half, five years ago, the, the way that the market for self-published children's books, I mean, I will point listeners to, uh, we did episode 267, a deep dive with uh, Karen Inglis, who is a fantastic uh, uh, self-published children's author. She sold over a hundred thousand copies, and she she does a brilliant book on on how to do that. It has everything because I, I I got a copy for for Claire, you know, to to look at self-publishing children's books, and um, yeah, ap- it's just transformed, absolutely transformed. And the the quality of books that Matthew is putting out, you you put them next to picture flats from the top publishers, you'd never know the difference. And that's that's what you you need to aim for. You need to because parents. And grandparents and aunts and uncles who buy these books, they know quality when they see it. They don't want to be because a lot of these will be given as gifts, and they have to have that gift quality. And and as Matthew said, he you know he tests them out beforehand. He's 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 you know he's got the quality to a point where it's um you'd be abs- any child would be absolutely delighted to receive one of those books. So yeah, just then this is quite a recent development. I mean, certainly recently. Amazon have been doing hardcovers on print on demand. I think it's invite only because I think Queeve, uh, who Queeve McDonald, who's hugely successful both indie and, and traditional, but he's he yeah I think he was invited to do a hardcover. So folks, you know, as soon as we're allowed to do it, we'll do one for Back to Reality. I'd love to see a hardcover of that. But um, so yeah, it, it's it's always changing, always evolving, and I think Matthew is spearheading that. Yeah, and it's a very it's a very unique part of the market. I think secretly we all harbour the dreams of publishing a classic children's book. I, I think you know anyone who's loved books as kids, like to, to be able to recreate something like that to pay it forward to the next you know, future generations. Um, and you know it's something that I've I, for again listeners of the podcast will have heard me talking about a book I've written called The Marshmallow Bear, which I set myself a challenge of um, wanting to illustrate it myself because I got into drawing like about three years ago, and actually through that process started to recognize just how brilliantly talented illustrators yeah. actually are <laughs> i mean yeah. i can yeah. draw a bit but when i try honestly when i tried i tried to do it and i thought um i need to spend 15 years to really mm. to really do something that i think would even start to get close to the quality of of illustrators so big shout out to all illustrators of books out there you are amazing um but uh, so listening to Matt's interview really kind of put fire into my belly of thinking, you know, I really need to get some illustrations done for this book and get it out there and experiment with this because um, I think there's something magical about having a kid's book. I mean, seeing what Jen's book's done and all, I still get emails almost weekly from people saying, people are still picking that book off. They want to read that book. But there's something very unique about this market. And that is, you know, alluding to what you said earlier about the importance of the parents, the grandparents, the adults, you know, the preschool teachers, whoever it is that's reading the book, they are reading the book typically to the child. So it is a joint, it's a joint audience. Like they're going to be holding the book. They're going to be seeing if the book lasts. Um, They're going to be recommend, they're like the kid's typically don't recommend it to their friends at kindergarten it's the parent that says oh my my kid loves this book you should get this book or they buy it i mean think about the market for birthday parties you know like i remember the gruffalo i would buy that book for everyone because it was my kid's favorite book and how many copies did i buy it's a slam dunk it's like i probably Mm. bought that book 20 times and one 
one parent you're welcome uh, you know uh, <laughs> but it, it just it, it makes me think like there is you know if you write a really good book if you get a really great illustrations but you have the quality of the book then you know it can be incredibly amazing from a, from a career spe- perspective whether you go for like self-published or or traditional which i know is a lot i mean traditional is hard isn't it to get they always talk about there's a lot of or rather, there's a lot of competition a lot of pitches yeah. for for kids books because so many people have ideas around them yeah it is very very difficult it is very difficult but and and you have to have that magic combination of of writer and illustrator as well because claire had this with her uh, lottie and dotty book she did three children's books about gardening and she got this amazing orion paired her up with this amazing illustrator marik van veldhoven who um just you know she had conversations with claire about the the designs uh and then went away and then came back and the art just just astonishing just so adorable full of life and Mm. you know just really brought brought those stories took them to a whole other level so there is um there's so much of uh in the life of an author you've got to find the right agent you've got to find the right publisher and if you're doing children's books illustrator you've got to find the right illustrator you know yeah. it's that there's so many factors that but you know matthew went out there and he went on the hunt you know he went and did it himself and um yeah there's no reason why anyone listening to this couldn't do exactly the same no exactly and i like the fact that matthew also kind of thinks like uh, he sees it as a business i know a lot of writers struggle with this because there's a point where if you want to do it full time, yeah, it's great. If you can get a publishing deal with a major publisher, then a lot of that support is going to be there for you. But if you want to do, if you're going to be a self-published author, at some point you have to cross that threshold and say, okay, I've got to think about this as a business. When I'm writing, I'm in my creative zone. But when I'm selling or marketing the book, I'm in my kind of business mind, as it were. And we often see this, that very successful self-published authors often have uh, an interest or an enjoyment or a previous or current career in marketing um, or sales or in that kind of outward facing role where they've, they've, they've kind of had to do other things. So they're not starting from scratch. And, you know, the fact that he talked about having a marketing plan before, you know, even writing the book or, or launching the book, you know, those are words you don't often hear from authors, no. like the word marketing plan yeah. or, business plan and it's the bit that often gets missed um but it you know he's proven that like if you actually set it out like a business and you think of it like a business you're much more likely to succeed and the fact that he's even had like a launch team like a group of people that he works with i mean those will be beta readers and and the illustrators obviously and and probably assistants etc but the point is is that thinking of what you're doing it's not just about you having to do everything it's about looking for people that can help you and building that team around you in essence you are building your own little mini publishing company aren't you yeah i mean i loathe marketing and and i i, you know, I worked in the sales and marketing department and I, I i you know it's it's something i i struggle with and um but yeah there are people out there who will help you i mean it might, it might cost you but they'll do the job properly i think it, yeah. if, if you are looking at a, a, this is a business and and you can calculate whether or not you can get return on your investment it's definitely worth investigating one of the things i found really interesting about what matthew said and i think this you can take this from children's books and apply it to any genre fiction non-fiction he's talking about uh children's books 
the reader is saying, okay, what problem do they have that the book is going to solve? So, so many children's books are have an educational aspect to them. They they will teach you something. You might be frightened of the dark. You might be, uh, you might be frightened of spiders. You you might be lacking confidence. You you know, there's that whole LGBTQ thing that that Matthew was talking about. You you may feel that you don't fit in in a world you know that that where people don't look like you or whatever. And these books will help solve that problem. They will say to the child, "Look, you are not alone." Yet there are people out there. Here is here is someone who looks like you in a book, and that's incredibly reassuring. Mm. Now, how do you apply that to your books? Because I think children's books that have a message they're almost marketed like nonfiction. They're saying, "Here's a problem, here here it can solve." So I think you can apply that to to adult fiction because what problems do adult readers have? They're not made perhaps as um, uh, uh, as as pivotal as the problems that those children might be encountering with identity or what have you. But the problem might be they want a thrill. They're going on holiday and they want to escape. They're in their airport. How can you fulfill that that problem? You know, yeah. Do they want to have some kind yeah. of emotional catharsis? Do they want to cry? Do they want to be scared? So think about what your book offers the reader in terms of solving a problem. Yeah, we, we're, we're touching now on a really important subject. I mean, it, it, we could go really deep on this. And actually, weirdly enough, we're talking about it in the academy at the moment in terms of uh, writing a book with purpose and meaning behind it so that it will change people's lives. You know, don't think of your book as just, I'm writing a novel, which is a bit of a fun read. I mean, we found when we were writing Back to Reality, and although we didn't really know it at the time, it's often the case a theme comes out, you know, after you've written it or you're towards the end, you're like, oh, actually, we can see what's happening here. And we had this really strong theme about mums and mothers and looking at, you know, the incredible work and dedication they have to their children. Um, that was the thing that came out, which we didn't intend to write about. But I think if you do have a sense as to what you might be writing about when you start your book, it's more likely to come through more strongly throughout the book. So, yeah, I think this is really important because I think the other thing is we dedicate a lot of our time and our life to writing. And so what do you want that writing to represent in terms of the time, your investment in your life? You know, it's, it's a chunk of your time that you're giving to doing this project. So make it count, like write about something that will leave people thinking about the world in a different way or their own life or give them a life-changing kind of moment where they're like, oh my gosh, this so applies to me or I could do that differently. I think that's where the true really intangible magic of writing stories um that that's where it all happens it's all very much underneath the surface underneath the text but i find i struggle with that in the sense that i have to write something that has some kind of meaning and purpose behind it otherwise i think you know why am i doing this because i could be doing something else i could be doing something else of maybe value or contribution to society in some other way so it has to count for me and i think that's an important thing for other people to consider i'm sure lots of people do have that like, yeah that's a, that's a conversation it. about theme and having a central dramatic argument that means something to the reader but that's a whole other that's a whole course it, it's a whole course on the, on the academy, academy. but um i love it and um so so much more so if you are thinking of writing a children's book if you've written like me if you've written a children's book and you're thinking of how to publish it or to get an illustrator 
Uh, we want to thank Matthew for inspiring us, showing us the way, um, showing us how he's done it, because that's what this podcast is about. It's about celebrating the successes of people who've done it in many different ways. And Matt's taken a very unique kind of route on this. And, uh, you know, so thank you, Matthew, for coming on the show and giving us uh, your wisdom. And, um, yeah, I look forward to hearing about how Matthew's journey goes as he as he as his career develops. So, Mr. Stay, what is happening on social media this week? Lots of wins, lots of good news. Uh, really, really good stuff. I had a lovely message from uh, Trey Montague over on Patreon. Uh, and uh, Trey was uh, saying that she she she's uh, she she loves um, Mr. D's woo woo. Okay, so this is a fabulous episode. Love the whole interview and the chat that followed. My son made it to the Tokyo World Cup this year, and the key tool in the sports psychology box is visualization. All the top athletes do it, and it isn't only Mark DeVoe woo-woo. For the record, I quite enjoy his woo-woo. Well, Trey, we've all enjoyed Mark's woo-woo at some point. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yes, visualisation. You talk about this a lot, don't you, Mr. D? It works. it does work. I mean, I always say that it came from when I was doing athletics as a teenager with an Olympic coach. So, you know, Mm. the Olympics is on right now. And um, we have two people from our town in West Canada in the track and field team for the Olympics. The Canadian oh, right. high jumper who's sixth ranked in the world. And I'll just give him a shout out. Michael Mason, good luck, sir. He's he's going for Canada in a few days. And Alicia Butterworth, who went, and they both went to the same school as my kids. And they both, wow. and we're trying to raise money for the new track. And these two athletes who are in the Olympics have got behind our little kind of raise a hundred one and a half million to build this new track for for um for the school and the the town so yeah it's kind of bonkers but i digress because these the visualization is such an important part of athletics and um high high impact high power high-end sport why is it something that we don't think about doing as authors why is it something we don't think about doing in our life it's something i've done all my life and i always attributed all the crazy stuff that's happened in my life to to imagining it visualizing it willing it dreaming it so yeah i'm glad to hear that that's being backed up by many people's stories especially olympic athletes that's always quite handy to have (laughs) very very good um in the nicola may episode nicola revealed that she writes in bed and we've had some great feedback on that. Sasha Green uh, got in touch, says, so happy to know that I'm in good company. It's not just me who writes in bed. Uh, her book, Something Like Happy, was almost entirely written in bed. And she has two more as yet unpublished books that are the same. And then Rhoda Baxter got in touch and said, since you asked if any books have been written in bed, all of mine were written sitting in bed. I get up, get dressed, sort the kids out and get back into bed to write. She said, I think it's a leftover from when I used to write at night after the kids were in bed. She said, when I had a proper job during the day. And she finds the ideas, words come more easily when sitting in bed. We are onto something here, aren't we? So uh, I might have to give this a try. <laughs> Excellent. We've also had an incredible uh, message from... Chel um, Vess, who's M. Rene Vess author. And she said, um, if you want to write, but you're not sure how to get started, you've got to listen to the Bestseller Experiment podcast hosted by Mark and Mark. It's full of practical advice, encouragement, and tools to grow your writing craft. Now listen to this bit, Mark. This is amazing. They've been a huge influence on my writing habits with the 200 word a day challenge. Listening every week is like chatting with friends while learning from all the amazing authors I interview. 
the, the Facebook group for patrons, supporters, it's one of the best writing communities full of genuinely kind and helpful authors. I'm so grateful for the difference they've made in my life. Oh, well, isn't that amazing? That is amazing. It's quite spooky because my next bit of social media is from Shell who put up a book sniffing post because uh, she had a story published in the third Tales from the Treehouse anthology, C is for Curse, which is a Swan Lake anthology of short stories. Um, so she's at, she got that print-on-demand paperback. And as is tradition in the bestseller experiment, we always sniff the pages. I think it was, was it uh, Penilla who started that one? Sniffing yes. the pages when the book arrives. So uh, big congratulations to Shell and all the authors featured in, in C is for Curse. And... Um, Last of all, I, 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 I owe everyone an apology. I've made a grievous mistake uh, because in the episode with Nicole Kennedy, I made reference to the Steve Buscemi clip, the gif where he's an old man trying to pass himself off as, as a teenager. And I said it was from the show community. Uh, well, uh, at GM White writes, uh, Jeff White, he got in touch to say, I hate to correct you, but it's actually from the marvellous 30 Rock well, oh, of course it is, and uh, we try, we try to high, hold ourselves to a high standard on the bestseller experiment. Mark, but I'm honestly. afraid I've let you all down. Slap um, your wrist. So, and that's uh, my retirement from the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and next week, our co-presenter will be. It's all over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, you know, yeah, we love it when our beta it. listeners hold ourselves accountable because that's what it's all about. So, thank you so much for pointing out. We, I, I make stuff up all the time, Mark. I don't know if you've noticed that over the last five. Years, oh, we've no, noticed. we have noticed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh you always we it's do you know what though doing a pot if you've ever thought of doing a podcast there's nothing like being like literally flying by the seat of your pants. put on the spot it yeah. is like the it's brilliant yeah. you just you, you don't quite know what's going to happen when you press the button and i'd say to be honest like in the five years we've done this podcast that we've only had i think I mean, very, very few people are very kind to us and not writing in and going, oh, excuse me, but uh, that fact that you said. But I actually love the fact that um, people correct us and we can put our little addendums in the uh, future editions of our newspaper. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, good yeah, stuff. Yeah. It's all good yeah. stuff. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We hope you've been inspired. We hope you get cracking. If you've got that kid's book somewhere on your computer or written in some notebook years ago, dust it off. Get it out there. Send it to some beta readers. Give it to some preschool teachers. Do something with it. You never know. I'll, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to I'm going to document my little journey over the next uh, ten years. No, let me do this. <laughs> next year, Mark. Here we go. Dream declaration. <laughs> I'm going to try and oh, get go. that book either signed by a publisher or self-published within. Okay, um, end of November 20, 2022. No, no, I'm not going to do twelve because. Uh, yeah okay 12 months gone then you got me end come of july months, come on yeah okay right you so the marshmallow bear let's write it down i'll put it in your diary mark's got a diary by the I way will. folks he actually writes down all these dream declarations and then he yep. kind of emails you and says so how's it going <laughs> okay so i've got to get to work now on that but i have to get it done i know i've got to get it out there um and thank you as well to all of our academates patrons etc if you would like to support the podcast it's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support if you'd like to uh, read more about the academy pop in your application now before closing academy.bestsellerexperiment.com and if you'd like to do the free 200 word challenge it's 200wordchallenge.com and mark social media 
Come and find us, folks. We're on all sorts of social media. We're on Facebook, Bestseller Experiment, Twitter and Instagram at Bestseller XP. We have a Pinterest page I haven't updated in a millennia, but I might get back around to looking at that at some point. Um, but also, please subscribe, rate and review on your podcast uh, machine application or whatever it is you listen to us on. Any kind of rating helps make us more visible, helps, helps us reach out to more authors. And hey... If you enjoyed today's episode, recommend us to a friend. Why not? Uh, a big thank you, as always, to our editors, Dave and JD. And as it's summer in some parts of the hemisphere, if you are going to a beach or you just want a bit of escapism and fun, do download or read or listen to the audiobook of Back to Reality, which is out there doing great things. And we thank everyone for your incredible reviews. Um, and yes. yeah, it was it's just great to, to and so yeah please do review the book if you've read it um, that makes a massive difference someone recommended it the other day because uh, I'm on a Terry Pratchett fan group on um, and I've forgotten who it was I'm so sorry but some very kind person said you know what if you want to laugh that's a bit Terry Pratchett and Douglas Adams read back to reality so thank you very much for that really appreciate that because <laughs> I, I only know because I got tagged in the um, in the in, in the comments so thank fantastic. you fantastic oh that's brilliant mm brilliant stuff well thank you everyone thank you mark and we'll look forward to chatting next week to another amazing uh, best-selling author and it's a goodbye from mark one and a goodbye from mark two Ta-ra. goodbye bye